This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. Thank you guys for worshiping. And I'm not speaking just to the band tonight. Thank you guys for keeping your hearts open to what the Spirit of God's doing in here. Like, if there was no one else in here and it was just the presence, that'd be enough. But I find myself just like looking around sometimes and catching people just get you know, wrapped up in God. And it makes me like, oh yeah, he's good. Like, it's almost like if you have had a food that's really good and you bring your friend to that restaurant and they get to taste it and it's like, yes, <laughs> like, you know, he's good. Um, and so thank you for keeping your hearts open to what he's, he's doing. And, um, we're just going to go deeper into that if you don't mind. So is anybody hungry? Yes. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. And, and you don't have to answer that out loud, and you don't have to answer these next questions out loud. You can, this can be personal, but regardless of your answer, I want you to know that this, on the other end of your response is a husband, is a father who is, has such a big fat smile on his face and a gift for you and a longing to be with you regardless of your answer. Even if your answer was, no, I'm not hungry, he's still like longing yeah. to be with you. And, and so, but if your answer was, yes, you're hungry, then my, my follow-up question would be, what are you hungry for? You don't have to answer it like out loud, but just start to think just for a second. What am I, when I think about the things of God or what, like what's burning inside me? What am I hungry for? Uh, maybe you don't want to be lonely anymore. Maybe you just want to know him more. Maybe you're bored. I don't know. What are you hungry for? Um, we're talking about righteousness tonight. Um, and in Matthew chapter, five, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I don't think I gave you this one, but we know it. Matthew chapter five, verse six, um, says that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. And it's, it's great news. You know, it's exciting. But when I was reading this, I, I had just eaten lunch. And so I had this question. I was like, God, how can you hunger for something you already have? Because we read it now. I mean, that's great news in, in, in this context of Scripture. It's like, yeah, they needed to hear that. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst righteous, they'd be filled. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the... They needed to hear that. But for me, I already know, you know, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. It's like, that's such good news. So I know I'm righteous. So how can I be hungry for something I already know I have? I don't know. Like I said... um, like I said, uh, I was eating lunch when I had this. Sorry, my, my notes fell asleep on me. Um, like I said, I was eating lunch when this happened. And so God actually painted, used the lunch I was eating to answer my question. Because I said, how can I be hungry for righteousness if I already have it? And he was like, well, look at this pizza you just ate. And so I went and got this pizza. It was a personal size pizza. But the lady convinced me to try a whole new thing. She was like, get some peppers, get some onions, get some meat, get some chicken, get some, she said like hamburger stuff. She said, get sausage, get these things. I had never tried on a pizza before. She said, get all of it. And I was like, all right, fine. So I get it and I eat it. And the first bite, the first piece was so delicious that I would have traded my inheritance for it. It was so good. I was like, the second bite, even better. This, the third piece, the third piece, like halfway through the pizza, I started to think, I probably shouldn't have got some of these toppings. You know, I probably shouldn't have got these onions that are tasting gross now. And then by the last piece of pizza, I don't know if anyone's been there. I was like, who am I? <laughs> this is disgusting. <laughs> who did this? <laughs> Why is this here? And it's so funny because our earthly, like our bellies, like our natural appetite, the more we eat, the less hungry we get. The more, the more we eat, 
the less we want, right? But in the spirit, like in our hearts and stuff, it's actually the complete opposite. The more we eat, the hungrier we get. So if you're in here and you're hungry, bless, you're blessed because you will be filled tonight. And if you're in here and you're not hungry, I believe God is going to pour something out that it's gonna, you're going to taste a little bit and you'll be like, mm, I want you some more of that. Because that's how our spiritual appetite works tonight. I mean, it's kind of how it happens. I, I, you, that, the, that's the pizza part. But the presence of God part is like some people, I used to be drugged to church when I was younger. My mom, I used to tell people I had a drug problem growing up. Not because I did drugs, but because my mom would drag me to church. And I was like, I hated it sometimes. I play hooky sometimes, but I, I got drugged. But there's times I showed up and the presence of God was there. And even though I went there not hungry for the things of God, the second I taste the presence of God, it's all I wanted. So I go in and the more I eat, the more I want. Because that's how our appetite works in the spirit. Completely, like pretty much opposite of how it works in the natural. And another verse I had a question about was uh, Matthew 6 verse 33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And I told him, God, how do you look for something you already have? I said, how? Because in Luke uh, 17 verse 21, it says that um, the kingdom is within you. So, I already have the kingdom in me. How am I supposed to look for the kingdom inside? It's already, it's already here. I already have it. And then, you know, we already know the, um, the righteousness verse that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. There's a bunch of righteousness verses. But I know I'm righteous and I know the kingdom's here. So you're telling me to look for something I already have? And he, paint, he showed me this picture of me in the grocery store this week. It was too cold for Megan to go to the grocery store. So she sent me out and I was out there just the grocery shopping at Harris Teeter. And at Harris Teeter, they have these flowers right up front for husbands like me. And I was like, oh my gosh, those look so beautiful. So I stopped in my tracks because how beautiful they are. So I was like, I'm gonna get those for Megan because I thought of her. So I come home, I bring her the flowers and I wasn't trying to get any brownie points. I just love her. So I gave her the flowers. I'm doing unloading the groceries. And she says, I don't think anything of it, but she stopped and she got tears in her eyes. She goes, um, she says, I feel so pursued. I was like, oh. I said, she's already my wife. I have no, she can't become more of my wife, okay? How do you look for something you already have? Could you imagine if God, like if in a relationship, we stop pursuing each other? I, I, believe, I believe that, actually, I don't believe. Here, here's what I know for a fact God is not done pursuing you. I know for a fact he has not stopped for a second pursuing you. And I believe a lot of us in this room are hungry to pursue the things of God, even though we already have them. So this invitation to seek righteousness is not the, I understand it now, I've got it. It's a, even when we're walking throughout our day, we can be looking for, oh, I just want to, pers- I want to know, I'm hungry to, pers- and not only just pursue him, but to be pursued by him. But if we limit righteousness, see, I was approaching these things from a carnal mindset of like, my belly's hungry, so, I mean, my belly's full, so I'm not hungry. I'm thinking like from a worldly perspective, I already have righteousness, how can I get more? I'm thinking like from a, from a very like, world I can see and touch perspective. But if we limit righteousness to only what we can understand with our natural brains, then we limit everything it gives us access to. If we limit righteousness to what we can understand with our cardinal brains, then we limit everything it gives us access to. So this all access pass to intimacy that we've been given is wasted. Oh, it stinks, I know, right? So when I look at righteousness, I think from a, from a, from my brain standpoint, then this all access pass to relationship with God becomes limited. Not on his end, but we limit it. I know we were talking about the natural being the opposite of the spirit. 
not all the time, but a lot of times, you mean you talk about it's better to give than to receive, the sowing and the reaping, steward the little, be given much, the first, the last, the leader should serve. All these things are so backwards. God comes to lay down his life. The, you know, it's like there's so many things that are like, what in the world? And the spirit is so upside down. Not all the time, but a lot of times. And so with the natural appetite, it's the opposite of what happens in the spirit, right? It is the opposite. Like a lot of things in the natural they're actually the opposite. In other words, there are things the Spirit God's trying to invite us to that are that if we look in the through natural lenses, it's the opposite of what's actually happening. It is opposed to what's happening in the Spirit, and more importantly, what God is trying to do, the Spirit of God is trying to do. So sometimes we can be sitting in front of the things of God, and, and we're like, God, I want you so bad. I just want to be where you are. I just want to, and he's like, oh, you can have me. And we're like, what do you mean? What do you mean eat your flesh and drink your blood? Why, carnivore dog? Get out of here. Do you know what I'm saying? That, that, that stuff can get in the way. Does that make sense? So I believe I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, um, God has been filling with this stuff about righteousness and I'm going to dump it out. I'm going to just like give you everything I got. And what's crazy is it's not going to be enough. Like, I promise you, everything I have, I mean, he, he, don't get me wrong, he's been giving me revelation and simplification and application to all this stuff. And it's been changing my life forever. It's so good what I believe God's heart is for you tonight. And I'm going to give it to you, everything I got. You can have it, okay? But I promise you it won't be enough. But that's okay. Because the Spirit of God is going to do something far greater than I can do. And so I just want to encourage you that no matter what I pour out in teaching, whatever, no matter what notes you take down, please be aware of not what you can see and hear simply in the natural, but what the Spirit of God is trying to do. Because what you see and hear in the natural may actually be opposed to what God's doing. From experience. Ooh, I like it. Okay, so, so let's dive into righteousness. Listen, righteousness. <sighs> I'll stick, I'll stick to Jesus here. I think it's, there's no better place person to look at than Jesus. I'm not trying to be like cute and Christian here. I'm just saying I've studied this thing for like 13 years now and struggled with it. And every time I look, there's righteousness all over, New Testament, Old Testament, everywhere in between. But the one person I think of who did righteousness the best, who was the most righteous person in the Bible? Jesus, right? Who, who had the most faith in the Bible? Okay, like think about faith as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. Who had the most substance? Who had the most evidence, right? Jesus, right? <sighs> yeah, Jesus. And so when we're looking at righteousness, it'd be really hard for us to do without looking at Jesus. And you look at his faith and his righteousness, and you look at who had the best relationship with God in the Bible, okay? Who had the most influence in the Bible? And we look at, you know, Romans, I think it's 5 or 17, says those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall rule, reign in life. And you look at, look at Jesus' reign. Look at him operating in the gift of grace and the righteousness. And you see this stuff. And it's like, what a perfect picture of, of righteousness, right? Okay. But remember, for me, I, I just learned that, you know, I can take my carnal mind and apply this to Jesus' life and, and look at it and say, it doesn't really make sense. I looked at his influence. I looked at his behavior and, and the impact he had on, on the world. And I said, he had that influence. Sorry, sorry. He behaved well. Oh, let, me, let me back up. Basically, if we look at it, his faith is what made him righteous. And his righteousness is what gave him access to this relationship with God. And this relationship with God is what gave him this impact he had on the world. He said, I only do what I see the Father do. I only say what I see, hear the Father say. So his, his, every impact he had was coming from his relationship with his Father. 
But I would see it backwards, okay? And here's how. I would say, if I behave well enough, then I'll get relationship with God. This, I'm not saying this is true. I'm saying this is how I would see it before. If I behave well enough, then I get relationship with God. And if I have relationship with God, then he'll think I'm righteous. And if I'm righteous, then I can finally hear God's voice. Thank you, Jesus. I'll hear, I'll get faith. You know what I'm saying? It's, I'm not saying that there's no relationship between behavior and righteousness and faith. I'm not saying that at all. I think there is one. I mean, if you look at um, Abraham, can we go there actually? Uh, Genesis 15, uh, I think it's verse five and six. This is a good relationship between, to look at the, what, what faith does to our um, relationship. Abraham, where are you, Abram? Oh, you beat me there. Okay, then he brought him outside and said, look towards the heavens and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to them, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. So because of his faith, he was accounted, it, that was accounted as righteousness. You guys wanna go to James 2, 23? You're going to beat me there? No way. Dang, you're quick. All right, I'll just read yours. Um, James says, In the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed in God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Yeah? And he was called the friend of God. So you see, faith gave Abraham righteousness, and righteousness gave Abraham friendship with God, intimacy with God, relationship with God. And what's, what's so crazy is I, I, I thought it was the other way around. I don't know if anyone else has been mixed up with that, but let me tell you what it's like. It's kind of like being a mouse in a maze and you're trying to figure out how to get the cheese. Like for me, at least, it was like, I thought if I just read my Bible enough, if I behave well enough, then this nice little scientist would give me a relationship or he'll speak to me or whatever. And it's so backwards um, and not life-giving. But the truth is, Abraham's faith gave him righteousness and righteousness gave him relationship and relationship gave him um, well, look at the impact he had on the world. And I, and I thought that was exclusively for Abraham. But today, Jesus was showing me, ah, this is a vulnerable little thing here. Thank you for bearing with me. I thought Jesus just behaved perfectly. And that's what gave him the, the fulfillment of the righteous. And if we just believe in right, Jesus' perfect behavior, then we get access to relationship with him. I thought that he didn't need his faith because he just behave perfectly. I thought that was, that's how things work. But the truth of the matter is he only did what he saw the father do. He was living faith. The just shall live by faith. He was literally living that work, that word out. It says that he was, he was, everything he did, all of his behavior was completely dependent on his faith. So he needed faith just as much as Abraham. For me, it's just easier for me to put Jesus in the superhero box of, oh, you're just a God. It's hard for me to picture that God would go through some of the temptations I went through, or Jesus would go through some of the temptations I went through. It's easier for me to say this task is impossible and all I have to do is believe, you know? Okay. Thank you for bearing with me. Okay. Let's go back to this. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I I don't want to get vulnerable like that, but I'll I'll, I'll keep going. Okay. Um, Here's why this is important. Thank you for bearing with me, but here's why this is important. I think there's a difference, a huge discrepancy in the legality of our righteousness and what our lives actually look like. Because I understand these scriptures. I've known these for over a decade now that he calls me righteous. And, you know, you know, even though all have fallen short of the glory of God, that 
his marvelous gift of kindness has said, I am righteous because of the sacrifice of his son. I get all the scriptures of righteousness. I totally get it. Legally, I'm righteous. But how much influence does that have in my actual life? That's what I'm, I'm really, I'm not really sure about yet. Um, once upon a time, there was a football player, a really famous football player, um, super personable. People loved him a lot. Like when he talked to you, it was weird how like much charisma he had. And he was accused of murdering his wife. And if you look at the evidence, it is so eerie how much it looks like he actually murdered his wife. And comes to trial, he has a wonderful lawyer who actually gets him acquitted of murder. And so in a jury of his peers in the court, they say, this man is not guilty. Legally, they can't try him again. He's not guilty. But imagine if he actually committed that crime, how would he go about his day knowing that he was guilty of murdering his wife? I've never been accused of that, but I will say this. Sometimes I do look at this legality of my righteousness and go, legally, I have a great lawyer who actually paid the price for me to pay the, the wages of sin or death. He paid that price for me. He set me free. And legally, in the jury of court, I am free. I am spotless. He doesn't see me not guilty. He sees me innocent, flawless. He sees me all those things. Legally, I understand that. But throughout my day, for some reason, morally, I can't get out of what I've done or what I've not done. I haven't read my Bible enough. I didn't really, oh, whatever. Like these things plague me. And so from a legal standpoint, I'm righteous, but from a, from like a moral, from like my actual day-to-day life, I don't know if, if I am experiencing that. Does that make sense? And I think the perfect picture of this scripturally is, is at the very beginning of the book, Jesus starts the story with this. In Genesis chapter two, verse 25, you have a picture of Adam and Eve in the garden. And it says in Genesis chapter two, verse 25, it says that they were naked and they were unashamed. And then you go on to uh, Genesis chapter three, verse seven. And this is after the, the serpent comes in and starts deceiving him. And it says, after they, after they take the fruit, it says this, then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. Hmm. Then the Lord called to Adam and said, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid I was naked because I was naked and I hid myself. So the timeline is this, they're unashamed, they're, they're naked and unashamed. They, they, takes, they receive a fruit, they allow this fruit in, then they're, oh my gosh, I'm ashamed. Their eyes are open. They hide themselves from each other. They hide themselves from God. And even though God is pursuing relationship with them, they are hiding. What changed? They're naked in Genesis 2.22. They're naked in Genesis 3.7. They're naked and they're naked in both. Who they are never changed. But how they saw who they are changed. You see what I'm saying? And how they saw who they are had a devastating effect on their relationships had a devastating effect on their relationships with each other and their relationships with God. They hid from each other. They're like, oh my gosh, I'm naked. Let me hide from you. Then they hid from God. Nothing, they were naked and naked. Nothing changed in the natural, but how they saw themselves changed. How did how they saw them, how did their relationships with each other and God change? It changed when they, when how they saw themselves changed. And what shifted how they saw themselves? It says in 3, 7, it says this, then their eyes were both open. And how did their eyes become open? Because of what they allowed in. 
They allowed the fruit in. And because of what they allowed in, everything changed. Because of what they allowed in, how they saw themselves changed. And because of how they saw themselves changed, their relationships changed. What we allow in, we're going to live out of. Whatever we allow in, we're going to live out of. And so, so some of us actually, when we mess up, when we, we, we're, we, want, we want to disconnect. We want to hide from each other because of this sin. It's like, nothing's changed legally. We're still righteous. He still sees us spotless. But how we see ourselves is different. Still naked, still vulnerable, still, but how we see ourselves is different. And therefore, our, our relationships have changed. Does that make sense? So whatever we allow in, we live back. We live out of. I think that I think this is the um, this is the kind of the bridge between taking the legal and walking us into the vi- the vitality of it. Like not just under, not just letting this be a, a nice story in a book that I understand. You know, I don't think God is wanting to address your reading comprehension tonight. No. You know, it's pretty easy to read these verses that say. I mean, it's, it's the Bible is littered with righteousness all over it. Old Testament, New Testament, Jesus everywhere between. It is literally with righteousness. He's not trying to address your reading comprehension. The heart of your husband tonight is he wants, he wants to get your perception of yourself out of the way of relationship with him. I was laying with him the other day. Oh my gosh. And I, it was before I, was, I had some food and I was so hungry and I was, I'd been having trouble smelling and I could finally smell it. So I was super excited to eat it because I could finally taste it. And I stopped and I said, you know what I want more than this? I want you. And I laid on my face. I said, I would enjoy you more than this food. I laid on my face. And I just laid, I curled up with him and I've been reading some of this stuff. And I said, God, I know in Jeremiah 30, you say that you don't remember my sin, that you don't even remember it. So what I'm about to tell you may come as a surprise. Seriously, I, it's not, I, I'm like, I was so serious. I said, you've been so faithful to me and you don't remember this, but I used to be unfaithful to you. I, I wasn't always this faithful. You don't even remember, but I haven't always been this faithful. And he hugged me and he hugged me so tight. And he said, this is why I didn't want our relationship to be dependent on your performance. Wow. Come on. So good. That's really good. But I got to experience this all-access passive intimacy because of his righteousness, wow. not just leave it in a book, understanding it. So good. But what did that come from? A rhema word from my father. And my ability to receive, I think, I think that if we look at Adam and Eve and we say, okay, whatever they allowed in, they'll live out of. See, my relationship, instead of me sitting with God and saying, I'm ashamed to be with you, I was able to be with him because I was able to allow in what he was saying about me. And because I let that in, I lived out of, oh, this is why you don't want our relationship to be dependent on my performance. So I don't have to perform for you. So that is what I lived out of. Does that help? This, what we were, I think receiving is the first step to righteousness because, because, It'll change how we see our day-to-day walk with him. You know, um, I don't know if we should go there yet. Let's go to Romans 8, um, verse 5. Mm-hmm. And, and talk about what we're allowing in. Oh, gosh, I got to beat you. I got to beat you one of these times. Okay, so, so keep this in mind. What we allow in, we live out of. Um, 8, verse 5 says this. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit, for those for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. We'll stop there. I was so confused about what that word minded meant, because it's saying for those who live according to the flesh, 
set their minds to the flesh. So there's a quote of the spirit, set their minds to the spirit. To be carnally minded is death. And I was asking God, what the heck does that mean to be minded of something? Some versions say those whose minds are governed by the flesh or those whose minds are governed by the spirit. And so I looked up the word in the original language and it, all it means is what you have within your mind. So what we allow in, we'll live out of. Let's read it like that. Um, for those who live according to the flesh, sorry, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds, they allow in things of the flesh. They live out of what they allow in. Those who, those who live according to the spirit, things of the spirit. They live out of the spirit because they've allowed in the spirit. Okay, let me explain it like this. I'll, I'll go closer to home. Um, sometimes before bed, uh, actually, let me, let, me, let me start right in the smack dab middle of it. I, would, I was having terrible nightmares, um, like terrible, like scaring Megan sometimes because I'd be waking up like yelling and like, what's that? What's going on? Terrible nightmares. And, I, and, I, and what's, ha- what's weird is, is God has actually been speaking to me recently. And please listen to this, the filter of this is Nathaniel Trenton Knight's story, not yours. Okay, don't copy and paste this. But this is what the Spirit of God has been telling me is he's, he's been telling me, be very careful about what you lend your imagination to. Like, you know, what you like, and I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'm just, I, I believed him. I believed him. But I'm thinking like horror movies or like, you know, you know, steamy scenes in movies or things like that. I'm thinking of obvious, like the devil, like witchcraft. Like I'm not home doing Ouija boards. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm watching like sitcoms that like you guys, if you came over and walked in on me, watched it, you'd have no problem. I'm talking about there's like a whole a household that's like healthy and the, they're, they're, they're like morals of the story. Like there's like at the end of the day, you're like, I learned something about family, you know, like th- those are the kind of shows I'm watching, but I, I like to watch them before bed. And so I'd watch this show that makes me kind of in that, in that, in that vein of like, it's a wholesome show. And I, and I would, I, but I could feel God tell me like, be careful what you lend your imagination to. And so one night I tried this instead of turning on a show to go to sleep, I just rolled over and I started to read these words about righteousness. I started to imagine them. What would it be like that you would become sin? You who knew no disconnection became disconnected so that I would never know what that feels like. I just start to imagine, just let that ruminate and just sit in there. And I'd had these dreams. Angels walked in my room. I was having encounters with God in my dreams. And I was like, what in the world? I came up, I mean, literally like praying for the, like w- there was crazy things that were happening in my sleep. But, but what, what I started to see was what I was allowing in, I was living out of even while I wasn't even aware of it. That's a personal picture. You want to get even more personal than that? I'll tell you this. I'm allergic to fruit. I'm allergic to fruit. So, so, so what happens if I eat an apple? I love apples, but if I eat an apple, my throat closes up. It's a risky business. If I eat, if I eat a banana, my lips will swell up like in hitch. Like, so, so what happens? So what happens is like, if I'm doing this, I have to be just ready for the side effects. So I, I, I don't really eat fruit a lot, but one summer it was super hot and I was at Wegmans and they have this like mist that comes down on the, their fruit. And it looks, this watermelon looks so beautiful. And so I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take this big thing of watermelon cold, missed it up. I'm going to bring it to my kitchen. And I'm, my theory was this, if I eat it fast enough and I eat it like with enough ferocity, like just with everything, then it won't have time to affect me. And so I'm sitting in the kitchen. I, this is a true story. I'm sitting in my kitchen and Megan's like doing something, like she's doing this or something. And I, and I just get home and almost like someone started a stopwatch. I was like, Bada! pounds of watermelon gone in an instant. And, and, um, and I was right. Nothing, I mean, my throat kind of itched like a little bit, but nothing swelled up. My lips in there. I was, I, I was like, thank you. You guys are saying hallelujah. The story's not over. <laughs> so, so, so what happened was a couple, a couple of days later, my stomach was hurting and, but I'm tough, right? So like, 
So you don't you don't grow a beard like this with just being sad about watermelon. You know what I'm saying? So I was tough. So I toughed it out for a couple of days. A week later, my my internal organs were bleeding so much that I was passing out from loss of blood internally. So Megan finds me on the toilet. She calls 911. I'm so pale. She, she's like, calls 911. Ambulance comes to the house. They rush me. I mean, they're like, yeah, you got to go to the hospital. I was like, <laughs> you know, I get to the hospital. Thousands of dollars later, hours later, so much test. I mean, the trauma of my everything. It was so terrible, right? And there's sit, there's a, there was a moment I could tell you exactly where, where I was sitting. The doctor comes in, going over all these test results, and she says, what do you think? What do you think did it? Like, what did you eat? And I had to sit there and think to myself, was it worth it? <laughs> you know? I had to think to myself, was, was, this, was this watermelon worth thousands of dollars in the pain? And I mean, the trauma of my wife finding me on the t- blacked out because of, because of loss of blood internally. And the pain and all that stuff. And the, obviously the answer is no. But I think... So I kind of care. Okay I think that I think that sometimes we do the same thing, where we allow things in, and they don't kill us immediately. So we think it's fine. In fact, they taste great. And oh my gosh, they're so juicy and they're so delicious. And it's like I've been wanting this for so long, but I thought it wasn't good for me. So now we have this idea of like if I just eat it fast enough, then we, then nothing will happen. And then we later we find out we've been inter- it's actually been killing us. And this is what's happening in Romans 8 verse, verse um, 5 is he's saying what you allow in, a mind governed by the flesh, a mind governed by the spirit is what you allow in, you will live out of. And some of these things, it says the carnal mind is enmity, the carnal mind is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So some things we're allowing in, we're actually experiencing death, but we're not connecting the dots of, like I could be sitting in the ER going, I don't know what it is. It's like, you know what it is. And this, I'm not like attacking anyone. I'm just saying sometimes we don't, we don't, we say it's just a harmless watermelon. Like for me, I said, it's just a harmless sitcom. There's nothing evil about it. But if it's not life and God is trying to usher in life, there's no other option. Does that make sense? (sighs) So sometimes we don't connect those dots. But, uh, but I think it's so important for us to understand that what we allow in, we will live out of. So we have to look at what we're allowing in. I mean, this is uh, Romans 5, 17. I'm sorry I don't give you these ones, but it, it's talking about Jesus versus Adam. And it goes on to say that those who receive the abundance, oh, you have it over there? Those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Okay. So for us to reign, for us, it's talking about, for us to reign, it starts with us having this gift of of grace and righteousness. And for us to experience this gift of righteousness, it starts with receiving. That's why I think receiving is the first step to righteousness. We're going to live out of, we're going to reign in, um, in whatever we allow in, you know? You see it in Romans 8, right? But you also see it in the garden. Whatever they allowed in, they lived out in. You see it in watermelon. Um, You see it in what I I do when I put my head on my pillow. You see it in the dreams I have. I'm living out of whatever I've allowed in. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, and I think this is the key that's going to walk us just from the legal to the vital, to the, to the, to the legal aspect. I understand righteousness to as I'm actually experiencing it in my life is what we're allowing in. So is that, this is good, right? You're, you're tracking, okay, cool. Then let's, let's talk about this. Let's unpack this a little. I don't know. 
I can't read military time, dog. All right, okay. So, 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 how do we? It's like 2007. That's <laughs> okay. That's okay. Oh my gosh. I didn't know till right now. I had no idea what that was. I'm like, I'm late. I've never seen 20. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay. So, we're getting the picture. What we allow in, we'll live out of. That's what's going to walk. So, our ability to receive is going to walk us from the legal to the vital. Cool. So, this, here's the picture. Here's some of the questions I had for myself and for us is this. So then if, if receiving is going to walk me into reigning, if receiving is going to change, um, if what I'm allowing in is going to change my relationships, affect my relationships and, and, and really help me with this all access pass to God, right? If that's what's the case, then how do we receive? What does it look like in scripture? What does it look like in our real lives? And what would keep us from it? Are you guys curious? Good. Then go to uh, John chapter six. Um, and I'm not going to try and race you. We're going to take our time tonight. John chapter six, and we'll start in verse 16. Remember the whole purpose of this is we're going from legal to vital. So this is not just a scripture to have in a teaching, but an invitation to change your life. The heart of your husband is right on these pages. And, um, and I'm very open to it. Okay. So John chapter six, verse 16 um, and it, just so you know, he, I think Jesus just fed 5,000, just put some context in here. It's right after that verse that says, you search the scriptures for me, like for eternal life and they point to me. Um, and so he feeds the 5,000, um, and we pick up there. They're, they're just leaving the sea. It says this. Now, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat and went over to, went over the sea to Capernaum and it was already dark and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, uh, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat and they were afraid. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him they allowed him in, into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the at the land, and they were uh, where they were going. Which this is the same story that you know Peter walks on water, but they don't mention this thing. I think everyone give hypes up that miracle of Peter walking on water, and that's a wonderful miracle. But I don't know why we skip over this one. This is a juicy one. One person walking on water, or an entire boat being teleported. Listen, bro. I'm telling. I'm telling you, and, and, I, and I, I'm not trying to like. I'm not trying to compare miracles, but for me, what happened? What happened there? All they did was willingly allow and invite him into the boat. They willingly received him. And so I think this is a huge key for us understanding what is actually what what will help me receive what he's trying to bring, or more so who he's trying to be. Jesus calls them, you're gonna go from point A to point B. Go. And they're rowing, they're rowing, they're rowing. And then he they invite him into what is carrying them from point A to point B. They say, Come with us. We want you. So so what what is it? What does that word actually mean? Um, to willingly receive. The word willingly, to will, the definition is this: to will, to have in mind, to intend. We can stop there, but I'll keep going. To desire, to wish, to love. Like in, when it says to love, it's like to, to, love, to like doing a thing or to be fond of something, to take delight in, to take pleasure in. 
I know I went quick, but let's put it back in here. So when they were going across the boat, they see Jesus. Jesus says, it's me. And they willingly invite him in, which means they desire to have him in, which means they delight, they take pleasure in having him. They're like, "Mm, I would be fond, I would love to have you with us. You ever go to the store and say, man, I just want to, like, you go to lunch with someone or go to lunch and like, ah, I really want them to be here. I wish they were here. Like, this is the invitation they, they gave Jesus. I want him with us. I will. It's actually, it's funny enough, it's the same word in um, John chapter 5 where it says, you search the scriptures for, you search, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing, that's the same word there. You would not enjoy to come to me. You would not delight in, you would not take pleasure in, you would not be fond of, you don't wish, you don't desire to come to me. You don't intend to come to me, even though I have eternal life. See, in John 5, verse 39, it talks about you search the scriptures, but they point to me, and you're not willing to come to me. And that same willing, in, in John um, 6, verse 21, the crazy thing is the similarities. Both of them are looking right at Jesus. What's even crazier is both of them are looking for Jesus. Both of them are looking for eternal life. Both of them are looking for Jesus. Both of them are staring right at Jesus. But the difference is one of them was willing to receive him and one of them was not willing to receive him. So what would get in the way of us receiving him? Because really, something had to get in the way. They're sitting there saying, I want eternal life. And Jesus says, I am eternal life. And they're like, ah, but we don't want you. That's sad. That's so sad. You don't know. You don't know. I'm telling you, when I was reading this, believe me, I giggled as well. I I actually laughed so hard. And I felt the spirit of God rock, like like almost like, like it was like a gut punch from God. It was like. I could feel the seriousness of how sad it was. It was like if a, if a husband was to propose to his wife and he goes to the jewelry shop and he says, I'm going to buy this ring for her. And the jewelry, sa- the jewelry shop says, it's going to cost you your life. You are going to be beaten to the point where they cannot recognize your gender. They're going to put a crown of thorns on you. They're going to have a cat of nine tails that rips your flesh, spear in your You are going to have nails in your wrists and in your feet. You're going to be gasping for breath to push up on the nails to breathe. They're going to sit and mock you and spit on you. They're going to reject you and that's what it's going to cost you. They're going to bury you in a grave. That's, and he says, oh, it's going to be worth it. And he brings this ring to the wife. He gets on one knee and says, I'm here to bring you eternal life. And she goes, oh, no, I don't want that. I don't want that. I'd rather pay for it myself. See, it's not funny like that. It's, it's so sad. And this is the heart of your husband. So what would keep us from receiving? What would make them say, I don't want to receive it? Let's go to John. Um, we're still in six. We'll just keep reading. It's the same story. We'll just keep reading a little. Long. We're going to pick up in verse 28. So he, he off, he, they willing receive, re, willing receive him in the boat. They translate to the other side of the, the sea. So he just fed the 5,000. They just translate to the other side. And what, the people that just got fed find out they're, that he's on the other side. They chase him down. So they chase him down. They're asking him questions. Where's verse 28? They said to him, oh, yeah, they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Because they chase him down and they're like, 
what they say. They're like, how'd you get here, Jesus? And he said, I know you're not seeking me because you understood what I, what I was actually doing when I fed the 5,000. You're seeking me because you want some bread. You want me to feed you again. But I'm telling you, don't work after this food that will perish, but work after food that will never perish. And they say, they say, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered them, said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he sent. That's your work. They say, and I, believe me, I was there too, especially with righteousness. Goodness gracious, some of you guys have been in here since I was 15. You know I was trying to work righteousness. And I would say, God, what do I do? What do you want me to do? You want me to do enough push-ups? If I can just sit, I'll just do the work. And Jesus says, no, 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 start with believing. This is the work I want you to do. Just believe, start there. Then your work will be done. He goes on to say, therefore they said to him, what sign will you perform then? Just chew on that for a second. What sign will you perform then? That we may see it and believe you. What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from, uh, from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us the bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. What are they looking for? They're looking for a sign. They said, they said, they said, um, where was it? What sign will you perform then? Show us. Show us the work. Prove it. We want to see a sign. And I think this is this is this is what got in the way of them receiving here is. Which can I just say, I wish someone would have told me about that watermelon before I ate it. Can I just say that? And I thought to myself, I was like, I wish there was a way to learn from your mistakes before you make them. (laughs) And there is. Why don't you learn from other people's? These people are coming to Jesus saying, they chase him all the way across the sea. And they're like, we want eternal life. We want to know, show us how to do the works of God. Show Show us a sign. And what happens is he actually offers a sign and they don't accept it. So sorry, sorry, he offers to be what they're looking for and they don't accept it. They're looking for bread. He says, I am the bread. And they're like, no, 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 we don't want that. So I want to learn from them what, what can get in the way. And I think what, what we're looking for can actually get in the way of who he's offering to be for us. Wow. They were looking for a sign. They were face to face with the son of God and they were looking for a sign. Jesus explains that signs actually point to something greater. He's like, yeah, your, your, your ancestors, they, or your fathers ate the manna from heaven, but the, the signs point to something greater. If there was a fire right now and you saw the exercise, I promise you wouldn't run to the exercise and stand there and go, we made it. <laughs> if they were driving on a road and you're on a road trip and you're hungry and you see a sign for Chick-fil-A, you wouldn't pull up to the sign for Chick-fil-A and say, ah, that was great. If you need to go to the bathroom right now, you run to the bathroom, you see a, a, a men's bathroom sign, and you go, hmm, good. Signs point to something greater. So when there was a sign in the wilderness that manna was there, it was pointing to something greater. So why show up and say, oh, I've made it. Yes, give me more signs. It's like you go to a Chick-fil-A sign, it's like, okay, that was good, and then we drive to the other one. <laughs> it's like, no, signs point to something greater. Signs were never meant to satisfy. You want to know how I know? John chapter 6, verse 22 says this, the, the following day, oh, you're there? Do you know what it's saying? It's, they just fed 5,000. Jesus just fed 5,000. It says the following day, when the people were standing there, they were looking for him again. Literally the next day, 
You don't have to put that up anymore. That's all I wanted to read is those words. The following day, they fed 5,000 people, just got an incredible sign. And the following day, they were hungry again for another one. John 6, verse 48 and 9. Please put that one up. John 6, verse 48 and 9. Says, I am the better life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead. Signs were never meant to satisfy. They ate manna in the wilderness and they're dead. They ate 5,000 people, ate and had leftovers and they're hungry again. You, the people were delivered. The Red Sea split. Talk about a sign. You walk up to a sea, it's a wall. He splits it up, they walk through and they walk miraculous out of one thing, out of one bondage into a brand new one. They walked into the promised land. He split the Jordan. He split the Red Sea. He split the Jordan. They walk in again and they go and they go and they become bound by people who live there. They start marrying people. They go out one bondage. They go into a new one. You can't just keep going from sign to sign. Signs are pointing to something greater. Signs were never meant to satisfy. The sun was. Look, uh, John uh, chapter 6, verse 35 says this. And Jesus said to them, and I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst again. That's satisfaction. And it's the son. It's not a son. So they're saying, give us bread. And he's saying, I am bread. But what they're looking for was getting in the way of who he was offering to be for them. And it's the saddest thing in the world because he's saying, I'll give you my life. Eat my flesh. I'll be everything for you. And they're saying, "Mm, no, we just want bread. Are we willing, this, this is a help, that's kind of heavy, but this will help, this will help us, I think, in, the, in, the, in our life. Is, are we willing to let go of what we're looking for in order to embrace who he is? I think the answer is yes. Okay, so that's one thing is what we're looking for can get in the way of, of, um, of who he's trying to be. Another thing uh, we'll pick up in, we're just keeping the same story, so we're, I'm gonna keep jumping down. So he offers to be the bread of life for them, and we'll keep going from there. So in verse chapter six, verse 41, it says this, the Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which comes from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it that he says, I have come down from heaven? How is it that he says, I've come from heaven? That word how will also get in the way. I'll keep reading. He offers to give him, uh, in verse 51, he's, he's saying, I'm going to give my, he's like, I'm, remember he's proposing to them and he's like, I'm going to give you my, this is, this is what I'm talking about. I'm going to give you my flesh. I am the living bread, which comes from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I have, which which I shall give for the life of the world. And the Jews therefore quarreled among themselves saying, how? How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And he goes on in 61 to say, so they keep asking the same question. How? How are you from heaven? We know your mom. How? We know your dad. How are you? How are you? How are we supposed to eat your flesh? They don't understand how. They don't understand how. And um, uh, 50, uh, 6 verse 57 says this. As a, this is Jesus talking again. As the living father sent me, I live because of the father. So he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which, co- which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples were, um, 
Disciples, when they heard this, said, this is hard. This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? So they sit, he says, I'm the bread of life. I come from heaven. They say, how could you come from heaven? We know your dad. They, they, they said, this is the bread of life. Which, pause. That's not true. They said, we know, isn't this Joseph's son? It sounds right. It looks right because you see Mary and you see Joseph. It looks right, but it's not even true. Joseph's not his dad, but from a natural carnal perspective, it looks like that's his dad. So they're letting their natural carnal perspective, that makes sense. I mean, some of us, it's like, it makes sense in my head. I know you, I know you, I know you. And it's not even true. Some things that we've allowed in are getting in the way of God, what's who he's trying to be for us. And they seem true, but it's just carnal. So how is, sometimes how it gets in the way. So he says, I'm from heaven. He says, no, you're not. We know your dad. Not true. He says, I'm going to give you my flesh. I said, how are we going to get your flesh? They said, this is so hard for me to understand. But sometimes our understanding, if we have to understand how, sometimes our how will hold us back. Sometimes our how will hold us back. If we let our how get in the way of embracing who Jesus is or who he's offering to be, or how can hold us back? <sighs> okay, but, but this, this, again, that feels heavy, but I'm going to tell you, this disciples had a different response here, okay? The disciples responded like this. Um, and, and, um, and he, sorry, Jesus asked them, like, does this offend you? In 61, it says, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained, not, not his disciples, like his 12, but the people, other people following him, they were, they were saying, we don't understand it. He said, does this offend you? He asked the same question to his disciples in verse 67. It says, then Jesus said to his 12, he said, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter asked him, sorry, answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ and the son of the living God. So, Same group, same message, same thing. One group can't get over how, can't understand. The other group says, I know who you are. They did not let how get in the way of who the Christ is. They said, I know you. Peter says, I don't even care if I understand. I know. Who the heck am I supposed to go to? He said, who? Who else should I go to? He's not looking at how. He's saying, who? Sorry, I don't, I'm not trying to get mad at you. I'm just saying, I'm saying there's a husband, there's a husband in the room who's longing to be something for you that costs so much. And sometimes we're like, we don't understand how. Could you imagine if you proposed to your wife and you said, how are you going to afford that ring? Yep. So good. <sighs> Jesus. Okay. So what we're looking for can get in the way. Our, our understanding in the way or how, the, the question how to get in the way. One of the last things I've seen that get, got in the way for these guys that I, I don't want to get in the way for us is, um, is who? The question who? Um, I think we'll go back to John chapter 6, verse 41. And it says this, then the Jews complained. So he's talking about being the bread from heaven. They, they complained um, about him because they said, because he said, I'm the bread which came from heaven. Um, and he said, they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? They couldn't receive who Jesus was offering to be for them because they weren't willing to let go of who he'd always been to them. 
A similar thing happened in Matthew chapter 13. We probably won't go there. But uh, Jesus says these words when he goes back to his hometown. He says, a prophet is um, not without honor except in his own town. And um, the reason he said that is because he goes back to his hometown. And it says in the scripture that they were so blown away with his wisdom and the miracles he was doing. But they said, isn't this Mary's son? And it says they walked away offended. The same way these guys walked away offended, it says that they, they were all offended. They were offended and, and the people in his hometown were offended, but because of the same reason, they could not receive who Jesus was offering to be for them because they weren't willing to let go of who he had always been to them. Now that sounds great in scripture and it sounds like a great point you put in your notes, but here's a sad thing that I realized for myself is it's not just here. Sometimes I have it for me. Jesus will say something like, I don't want you to watch this sitcom. And I'll say, I have this urge to be like, God, you're the God who forgives sin. You're my savior. When I was stuck in sin, you saved me. You can forgive so easily. There's nothing I could do you wouldn't forgive. I've always known him as my savior. But if I'm not willing to embrace him as my Lord, I'll be stuck with him just as my savior. It's not... Do you understand what he was trying to offer them here? Is eternal life. And they're saying, nah, we know your mom and dad. <sighs> See, in Matthew chapter 13 and in, oh my gosh, I almost forgot. John 4 verse 40. We have that one. You are so fast. John 4 verse 40 and 42. Um, this, is, this is where Jesus goes to the... Um, goes to Samaria and he's at the, he finds a Samaritan lady at the well and he asks for water. And this is so cool because he's like, if you knew the gift, he's talking about living water again. He said, if you knew the gift that was in front of you. And so he prophesied, he, he does all this stuff and she believes him. She goes running away and saying, this is this, could this be the savior of the world? She brings a bunch of people. Oh man, don't, don't sew it yet. Put it away for now. I don't want to ruin the spoil of the ending. So all these people come back and they meet Jesus and they talk with him. And what's crazy is they ask him to say, uh, actually, you can put it back up. I'm sorry. I was being dramatic. I was being dramatic. But in, in John uh, 4, verse 40, it says this. So this is, the, this is where we pick up. It, it says, so when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with him. Remember that willing. They, they would love for him to be with him. They delighted him. They desired. It was their will. It's what they wanted. They would enjoy being with him. They would be fond of they said, please stay with me, please. This is that willing, allowing in. Please stay with us. We are bringing you in. The same way they invited him in the boat. They're saying, please just come be with us. They're urging him, okay? So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with him. And he stayed there for two days. You can go to the next verse. And many more believed who he was of his word. Man, what's the next one? Oh, and I believe you know, because... Yes, that's it. Thank you. You got it. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. See, they went from inviting him in to knowing who he is. Peter and the disciples, when they're like, there's people who left offended and there's people who didn't. And the people who stayed with the people who said, we know who you are. There's people in his hometown who said, we know who you are. See, they both were saying, we know who you are. But one of them said, we know who you are. You're Joseph's kid. You're Mary's son. We, who the, we know who you are. And that actually made them reject him. But these people say, oh, come on in. And I want to get to know who you are. And when they knew it, then they wouldn't let go of him. Even when they were saying crazy things like, eat my flesh and drink my blood. They were able to embrace who he was because they're willing to let him in. 
See, if we're willing to embrace him, I'm telling you, it will even triumph offense. You know what that word offense means? This is probably the last thing I'll say. The word offense means to entice someone to sin or to entice to sin. So it talks about a stumbling block. You probably heard thousands of teaching. I think John Bevere, a bunch of people talk about offense. The bait of Satan. Pastor Barry has a good teaching on offense. There's so much stuff out there on offense. But I think this, if we look at the picture of offense like that, like enticing to sin, this is what the snake was doing in the garden. He was enticing them to sin. He was enticing them. He was like, doesn't it look so beautiful? He doesn't care. It's not that bad. Like I was doing with that watermelon. I was like, if I just eat it fast. The thing is, they were enticed to disconnect. So I started looking at some of the things in my life that are enticing me to disconnect from God. And a lot of them are not bad. There are TV shows that aren't bad. There are games. There are things that there's, there's ways of thinking that are not bad inherently, but they're enticing me to disconnect from my father, for, to disconnect from embracing who he is. That's the offense. That's when he brought, eat my flesh or I'm from heaven. That's what said, mm, I want to disconnect from that. I'm offended by that. And that affects our relationships with God, but also our, our relationships with each other. We're, some things people do in traffic will entice us to disconnect from them. Some th- habits, some things people say about us entice us to disconnect from them. That's what happened. That was the first result. When their eyes were open, they said, I need to hide from you. And they said, I need to hide from God. Nothing changed in the natural, but they were enticed to disconnect from each other and from God. And all that shifted was their eyes were open because of what they allowed in. And because of their perception of themselves changed, their relationships were devastated. <sighs> That's everything. Okay, but do you see what I'm saying? That's all my notes, right? But there's, 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 that is not enough. Like I'm telling you, that's everything I had to give tonight. But I'm telling you what? There's a spirit of God moving. And I feel like our hearts are stirred up in it. And I think that he's moving this place like I can't do in a teaching. Okay, can we stop the recording? Actually, don't, you know, you can leave it. Anyway. <sighs> Let me pray. And I feel in my heart to sing a song. Um, that's okay. Um, Matt, do you mind just lowering your mic stand? Because I'm shorter than you. Thank you. Um, this, this, is, this is a song that when I was 15, I was wrestling with this righteousness thing for so long. And I don't know, I don't even know if I remember the words. I don't know if I, I don't know if I remember the melody or whatever, but I feel like it's so strong in my heart that, that it's something that all this um, teaching of who my husband wants to be for me, I was wrestling with my understanding of what I had done. And, and I, I know, I know how bad I've been or all this stuff. And it's like, I don't think all of us deal with the past like that, but I think some of us deal with some things that we can just see, like our carnal mind of like, I understand, my understanding can't receive who you are. But I think this song will be an invitation to just embrace who he is, regardless of how, regardless of who we've known him to be, regardless of what we're looking for, to the point where he can actually be who he wants to be in our lives. But let me pray first. And then we can stop the recording because I don't really want this to be recorded. Um, I, Jesus, I just thank you so much for pouring out your blood. I thank you for your love that came down and rescued us. I thank you that we can trust you in our boat. You've called us across the waters, and maybe some of us been rowing, but we are willing to invite you in. We would love to have you with us. We, we, we would love to bring you into where we are. 
So help us, Holy Spirit. If anything offends us, if anything, if anything is getting in the way of us receiving you, of allowing you into, and I'm talking about inviting you into our mornings. When we lay our head on our pillows at night to paint the canvas of our imagination, we invite you to come in and meet us there. When we wake up in the morning, in our dreams, we invite you in, God. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, God. We love you. And Holy Spirit, just just uh, have your way this week. <laughs> In every moment of it. Take this idea of our all-access pass of righteousness out of the box. Take it out of the book. Take it out of the legality and bring it into every moment of our life. Don't let us put any limitations on it, God. <sighs> In Jesus' name, amen.